So the book that we are using for the meat of this sermon series is actually one of my favorites. It's one that you study a lot when you're preparing for your Foursquare ministry license interview, so your pastor interview, um, which is a three-hour process, and it sounds very daunting. So studying is a big deal for that. It's not actually a riveting page-turner of a book, um, and it's about this thick. Um, actually, the new one comes in two volumes with a study guide. I didn't get that. Um, but uh, when you're someone like me, whose degree is in musical theater, and definitely not from a Bible college, this book answers all of the questions that I've always had but was afraid to ask because I didn't want to sound silly or stupid, which I know now we all have those questions. So if you have questions, none of them are silly or stupid, please ask. Um, but this also... <laughs> sounds very sophisticated when someone asks what you're reading and you say, the foundations of Pentecostal theology. <laughs> it just, it rolls off the tongue and sounds real fancy. Uh, so today I'm going to be talking about repentance and faith. One of those I'm a little more jazzed to be talking about than the other, mostly because I lean toward the happy, happy, joy, joy side. <laughs> of salvation and Pentecostalism and less the hellfire and brimstone. But we need to know the truth of the word, right? Um, and even Jesus said it's not going to be sunshine and roses all the time, paraphrasing. Um, so I opened the section uh, of foundations of Pentecostal theology that Jonathan said I'd be teaching. And the very first sentence in this section is, repentance is necessary for salvation. So that's where we're going to start. Repentance. The call to repent is strangely absent from most churches in America today. Frankly, a lot of what we're talking about in this series is absent from a lot of churches today. And there's nothing wrong with this, but some churches just lean more to the side of being sensitive to the newcomer and those who have never heard the name of Jesus before. And yes, one time I did hear someone say, who is this Jesus guy? And as someone who is a born and raised Christian, my jaw was on the floor. But we do have people in our nation who have never heard the name of Jesus so sometimes in a church, the message preached is God loves you, which is true. God cares for you, which is also true. And God has a plan for you. Again, true. But we aren't that church. We want you to know where the Bible, our movement as a four-square church, and our church stand on these things, even if it's your first week with us. No need to candy coat the good news. Let's just feed you the meat. So we're going to equip you so you are stronger in your testimony and the knowledge of our Lord. In the original text of the New Testament, the term for repentance is metanoia. Metanoia has two primary aspects, a change of heart or mind and regret or remorse. So repentance is the will of God for every single person 
Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Reach repentance. That made me take pause. It's something we have to reach. It's not something we do naturally. Y'all, I don't know about you, but that made me encouraged. So there are three different aspects of repentance. The first is the intellectual aspect of repentance. We as individuals must have a change of view in regard to sin, God, and ourselves. We don't just see sin as a weakness or a mistake, but as personal guilt. We realize that it is not just an act that isn't awesome. Uh, It's an act against God himself. So David, who is uh, a man after God's own heart, is what the word says. He lamented in Psalm 51 after he realized his sin against Bathsheba and her husband. If you don't know that story, go read it. Riveting. And he said to God, against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Oh, he for sure sinned against those two other humans. But the sin defiled and polluted his own being. And he knew that he needed God's cleansing. That is the knowledge, the intellectual aspect. You know that you need that you need God's cleansing. The second aspect is emotional. This is where we have a deep and profound godly sorrow for sin. There's a real stirring of the heart when a person is brought face to face with their own sin. However, there is a difference between experiencing true sorrow for sin or having a feeling of shame. Now, shame is a tool of the enemy and of the devil. That is not what we are to fear as Christ followers. That's not what we are to feel. We're not to live in that. That's different from the God's sorrow. There's a big difference between remorse and repentance. I think we miss that a lot. We may be sorry we got caught doing something or that we hurt someone, but we may not truly repent about it unless we feel God's sorrow on that act. So the third aspect of repentance is the volitional aspect of repentance. And I had to look this up. Like, you know how we use words, but we don't really truly know the meaning. And then if we're teaching about something, maybe I should look this up. So volitional means use of our will. So in true repentance, we exercise our will by turning from the sin wholeheartedly and turning to Christ for forgiveness. The dictionary defines repentance as just regret or remorse. And while we know that's half right, remember that metanoia is also translated to a change of mind. Another related term is 
epistrepho, uh, which is biblical Greek, meaning to turn about. Think about an about face, doing a 180, completely the opposite direction, turning your back on that sin and walking away from it. So true repentance will lead to the following. Number one, confessing our sin. Psalm 38:18 says, if I, I confess my iniquity, I am sorry for my sin. And some translations even say, I will anguish over my sin. Number two, we will forsake our sin. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. That's Proverbs 28, 13. Number three, we turn to God. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. We have to know that God's heart is for forgiveness. He's not going to hold our sin in front of us. When we turn to him, he's not going to slap our hand. We turn to him and he says, oh, I've been waiting for this. So fourth, we surrender to God. When we turn to our heavenly father and he says, yep, I know. It makes it so much easier to surrender our will for his. Matthew 16, 24 and 25 says, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, then let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Repentance is so important. It's central to the Great Commission. We're told in Luke's gospel that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all the nations. It is central to the teaching of the New Testament church. If you'd like a list of all the scriptures that mention that in Acts, 2 Corinthians, and 2 Timothy, please come see me because I only have so much time before we all need to go get lunch. There's a lot of them. Uh, like was stated earlier from 2 Peter, repentance is the will of God for every person, every single one of us, me, you, people we love, even the people we're trying really hard to love and haven't succeeded at that yet. Remember the verse above where I said some translations say that the psalmist would anguish over the sin. So God's will is not for us to stay in that anguish, but to come to repentance for his mercy is great every morning. It's new every morning. Hallelujah. I know I need it. And not only is it the will of God for every person, it's the command of God for every person. Acts 17.30 says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And what happens if we fail to repent? I personally think that Jesus saying, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish twice 
with two different examples, all in Luke chapter 13, I think that says failure to repent will result in eternal death pretty well. Okay. Now for some happy, happy, joy, joy in repentance. (laughs) Repentance brings joy in heaven. Luke says twice in chapter 15 of his gospel that the angels rejoice when even one person repents. One of my favorite pastors always did an altar call at the end of his sermons, never failed. And any time even one person raised their hand to accept Christ, he said, there's a party going on in heaven because even when one person repents, the angels rejoice. So what is the source of repentance? First and foremost, it is a gift from God. It's not something that we can bring ourselves It accompanies the spirit-led sharing of the gospel to those around us. And it is the fruit of God's goodness and patience. He leads us there, and he wants us there. One of my favorite scriptures that was used weekly in the liturgy in the church that I grew up in is 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I didn't memorize that just because it came right before what I used to call Jesus snack time, communion. (laughs) It's something that I believe the Holy Spirit put on my heart to consistently remind me of my need for repentance. Repentance is not based on the wisdom of humans, but on the patience and goodness of God. And it is a gift to us. We get to accept it, but we can also reject it. True repentance leads a person to say, I have sinned, and then make a 180 degree change in direction. Repentance is not something we do once, and then get to continue living how we want. Repentance requires change, and that's real change. We don't just do it for a couple weeks and then, ah, slip right back in. That's not true repentance. Repentance is not asking the Lord for for forgiveness with the intent to sin again. That's not repentance. Repentance is an honest acknowledgement with a commitment to change. Now, in the work of salvation, repentance also must be accompanied by faith. Now we're getting into my wheelhouse. Faith is also necessary for an individual to receive salvation. And as odd as it may seem to us, Okay, as odd as it is to me, faith is so intertwined with repentance that it's hard to determine which one must come first in the work of salvation. A quote from the book is, it is doubtful that individuals can repent unless they believe or can believe unless they sincerely repent. Regardless, it is not possible to overstate the importance of faith in the Christian life and work of salvation. 
Faith is how we all approach God. Ultimately, everything believers receive come uh, receive come through and seen. Take two. Ultimately, everything believers receive from God, they receive through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift from God, Ephesians 2.8. We hear the word faith a lot. Have faith. Keep the faith. I have faith that this is finally the Mariner's year. I was expecting a much bigger laugh track than that. Some people here have some faith. <laughs> All I can think of is Inigo Montoya and the Princess Bride. You keep using this word. I do not think it means what you think it means. <laughs> True saving faith means we understand the gospel. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, died for our died on a cross as a sin offering in our place, and he rose again three days later. Come on, Resurrection Sunday, just a few weeks away. I'm pumped. But it also means that we recognize our sin and our need for a savior, so we put our complete trust in the Lord. And this should be a life-changing experience. The author of Hebrews gave what we widely believe is the best definition of biblical faith in chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In this scripture, faith is said to be substance. The word substance comes from a word that literally means foundation or what our hope is resting and built upon. Faith is the foundation it's our covenant relationship of mutual love between Lord and believer. It's not closing your eyes, blind groping in the dark. It's not crossing our fingers and wishing. I love what Foundations of Pentecostal Theology says. It is the certain conviction born of love and relationship that God's revealed word is true. Faith is more than mere hope. It is substance, which in legal affairs translated to title deed. They who have the substance of faith has a title deed to God's full provision. Amen. <laughs> faith comes very, very naturally to me. There has never been a time in my life that I have truly questioned if Jesus was who he said he was, if he died for my sins and rose again, or if there was a father in heaven who loved me enough to give his son for me. It was so innately part of my being that it wasn't until I was 23 years old and I had a roommate who had just left the LDS church and had been coming to church with me one morning said, I don't think I'm going to go. And I'm like, oh, come on. Like, you don't even have to get dressed up for my church. And she looked at me and she said, you know how you wake up every morning and you just know God's up there and he loves you? Oh, yeah. I wake up every day and I have to convince myself of that. Insert my jaw on the floor again. I had no idea 
that it was hard for some people. But that conversation opened my eyes at the reality of, of, of that reality of faith. So thank you, Kristen, wherever you may be. <laughs> and family, wherever you are on either end of the spectrum or in between, don't worry, you're normal. Y you are the way God created you, and that's good. We don't get to see a lot of what God is doing in our world. We don't get to see the realities of his kingdom with our human eyes. But we completely believe and expect that the Holy Spirit is still moving and that miracles happen every day. Not all of us are going to witness physical healings or a literal casting out of demons that brings us into the fold or turns our eyes toward Jesus for the first time. For Christians, faith is our evidence. Believers do not need other evidence to proceed in harmony with the revealed will of God. In relationship to salvation, faith is based upon what God has done and promised through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is based entirely on the finished work of Christ as revealed in scripture and confirmed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just like earlier about repentance, we're going to talk about the aspects of faith. Number one, the intellectual aspect. Faith is walking in the light of God's word. It must be based on knowledge. No one can believe something they know nothing about. So if someone knows nothing about the Bible, we shouldn't expect them to already have a relationship with Jesus, to have that faith. Faith for salvation is based upon the very best evidence we have, the word of God, enlivened by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 10:17 says, "Consequently, faith comes from the hearing of the message and the message heard through the word about Christ." The emotional aspect. This is seen in the joy that believers experience when they realize the goodness of God. I feel like there's a song about that. Um, this joy can grow dim or faint when we fail to grow closer in relationship with God. Just think about the parable of the sower scattering seeds. If the seeds aren't in the right place or they're not taken care of properly, those seeds die. They wither and they die. So what we need to be doing is making sure that our seed is on fertile soil, that we are, that we are in repentance so that we can be in right relationship with the Father. We're studying his word. We're spending time with him. Whatever we need to do to grow closer to him. So that that seed of joy and faith will not wither. Jesus' warning in that parable demonstrates that our emotions must always be balanced by truth or fact of faith. So I want to rabbit trail just a little bit here. I went to the worship night at Overlake Church last night with uh, Carrie Job, Cody Carnes, and Martin Smith, who for all you late 90s, early, well, mid to, early to mid 90s through early 2000s, if you're a Christian music junkie, he was the lead singer for Delirious. Took me a while to figure that out last night, but it's a fun little Easter egg. 
Um, so I left that last night thinking, I need to preach an entirely different message because the Lord stirred some stuff up in me, but it didn't fit, so I just have this little thing right here. Um, <laughs> so Martin loves a giant flag, and I mean a 10-foot pole with a ginormous flag with the name of Jesus on it, or Our God Reigns. Well, what we didn't know after we'd seen the first two flags last night was that there was another one with holy, holy, holy on it. And in the middle of a song, Carrie Job, with those dynamite lungs, turns around, puts her mic on the drum kit, picks up this 10-foot flag, big yellow thing that says, holy, holy, holy on it, and ran back and forth across the stage. Now, aside from commiserating with her that she couldn't catch her breath and that she had heart palpitations for about 10 minutes after that exertion, because we're both around the same age, I, what I will never forget about that moment was the joy of the Lord on her face. I, I wish I had a picture of it so that I could put it up on the screen and show you because there's no way to describe it other than that. And it wasn't just on her face. It filled the whole room. It was that first time you tell Jesus you love him, joy. And no matter if you've been a Christian for a year or a lifetime, that joy is within our grasp. Thank you. That was my rabbit trail. So now the volitional aspect of faith. After knowing what God has promised, after accepting the truth of that promise, faith reaches out and appropriates what is provided. Knowledge itself is not enough. We all know people who believe that Christ is divine. Yeah, I believe he's a God. But they do not call on him as their savior. We also know people who have accepted Christ as their savior with their minds, but they have not surrendered their hearts. Real faith is demonstrated in the realm of our will. Are you living in your will or his? Has he told you to do something and you're doing it your way instead of his way? I know I'm guilty of doing that from time to time. Maybe he's not acting fast enough for you, so you decide to take some action yourself. Just no. no. wait for God. Real faith takes in and acts on the promises of God. You must confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him up to be saved. This teaches us that saving faith is found in surrendering to the lordship of Jesus in our lives and our hearts. 
This personal decision of faith is just that. It's a decision to receive the gift of Christ as our Savior. He died for all of us, but we each must accept it. It must be an individual commitment of the soul to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. When we receive that salvation by faith, our decision is based on what God has promised and done as Christ, not by what we've seen. Because I'm pretty sure that none of us here saw Jesus when he was alive. Am I wrong? No? Okay. So I'm a millennial, an elder millennial, but a millennial nonetheless. And a lot of people in my generation, we roll our eyes when our parents or grandparents get roped into a PayPal scam, a gift card scam, or constantly copy the Facebook posts when they change their user agreements that they own their profile and everything in it, just so you're aware that means nothing. Okay, just my PSA. However, that did not stop me from getting real close to getting scammed a couple months ago. I got a call from someone who wanted us to sell some of our bonus weeks from our timeshare for cash. Bonus weeks that I knew nothing about. And I'm pretty savvy about our timeshare because I like to get our money's worth. It sounded really easy to sell these bonus vacations for quite a bit of guaranteed profit. But there was this very small part of me that was like, this sounds too easy. And they started to get really pushy when I said, oh, I need to discuss this with my husband because there was an initial investment. They even stayed on hold for 20 minutes while I was like, um, listen to this. And then we Googled it because we we're like, this can't be right. And then we found out that it was a thousand percent a scam. So we got back on the phone, we're like, mm, no thank you, scam, we know this, please stop. And they used a choice, less than professional four letter word, and I told them that I would pray for them to get a job where they didn't have to scam people for money. <laughs> I mean, they're probably just trying to feed their family, but I want them to have an honest job. And Jesus died for them too. Um, so all that to say, as humans, we're used to hearing good things and it being too good to be true. Our spidey senses tingle. And I think the older we are, the more we have those spidey senses of there's got to be something else. There's got to be more to this and this seems too easy. So to a lot of people, the gospel seems too good to be true which is where you get people thinking that they have to do good works to get into heaven, to be saved. It's really easy to believe that when you think with the human mind, not with faith. But the beauty is, Scripture clearly states that the good news of the gospel has been promised, planned, and brought about by God. Therefore, every person can take God at his word, his gift of salvation by faith. So there's a word used for saving faith, pistuho. Paul uses it in Acts chapter 16. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's more than just an intellectual acknowledgement. It's much deeper than that. It means to entrust your eternal well-being to Christ and to be confident in it. 
friends, can I encourage you that if you're listening to this and you're feeling that holy anguish about a sin in your life and you need to repent, all you have to do is approach the Father with that heart. He already knows what your sin is. He may have even told you what your sin is. <laughs> He's been waiting for you to turn about and come to him. And if you're hearing me and you've accepted Jesus with your head, but have not surrendered your life and your will to him, or don't have that pistujo faith, the confidence in entrusting your salvation to him, if you have a feeling, oh, every week I've got to go get saved, I've got to go to church, or this thing's just not going to take, can I encourage you to get into his presence? Get into his word to truly know him better. Worship him the way he created you to worship. Music, dance, art, gardening, meditation, prayer. Whatever that looks like to you. For you to have that time to build your relationship with the Father. Just to get to know him better. And if either of those are you, please, 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 at the end of service, come up and pray with someone from our prayer team. Our prayer team delights in praying with you. You are not a burden. They have heard it all before. There is no judgment. They want to sit at the feet of Jesus with you. We do life together. That is Christianese for we are in this with you in the good, the bad, and the ugly. We will cry with you when you're crying. We will have holy anger with you when you have holy anger. And we will rejoice with you while you're rejoicing. That's what this family is about. And if you're here or hearing this and you have never made the head or the heart decision to follow Jesus, to enter into this personal relationship with God, giving your will over for his, living in the light of salvation, would you be so bold as to raise your hand right now? There may be someone online. <laughs> But if that's you, this isn't to embarrass you or call you out. This is a declaration of faith. And it also helps us to get beside you and walk with you through this journey. So let's pray, family. Father, thank you for your word that is alive and active. Thank you for people who are smarter than me, who have given us texts, and for the gift of Google to understand and pronounce things correctly so we can get to know you on a deeper level. Your word says that Paul encouraged the Pharisees to be converted, to turn away from sin and follow Jesus 
so that times of refreshing may come. Lord, I pray we are all repentant so we can have times of refreshing. By repenting from sin and following Jesus, by undergoing a true transformation with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we can experience true saving faith. And Lord, I pray for us all to be filled with the joy of that salvation and faith that overflows to all who encounter us. Lord, that they see you. Father, right now, we repent. Holy Spirit, show us the things that you need us to remove from our life so that we can follow closer, so we can look more like Jesus. Tell us in your gentle and loving way what we need to correct. Thank you, Lord. And Father, fill us with faith. Assure us where we need reassurance of your gift. We know it's in front of us at all times. And Father, we accept it. We accept that. Lord, fill us with your joy. Help us to create space in our days for time with you so we can water and nourish those seeds and our life can be an abundant garden for you, producing fruit for your kingdom. We love you, Lord. And we pray this in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ.